Lockdown Diaries with Jack Kirby Lowe, episode 27. Hi, good evening. It is the evening of the 25th of May. Actually, the, I did record a little bit earlier, but uh, if you listen to the previous podcast, that was sort of a bit of a weird one because it was a bit of a lost half the original one and put a bit of a thing in this morning and now here I am in the evening talking again so I guess I'll cover some of the bits that I lost last time and just further general updates. I'm re- doing this with some the new microphone, camera, camera, earphones, hands-free set. Uh, so hopefully the quality's okay. Just gently moving the lead there maybe that'll cause a lot of distortion who knows ah, so it's uh it's quarter past six um what's been going on today well sort of again in a follow-up to i guess yesterday's podcast at this stage um dominic cummings has done his uh press conference um in which he did not resign and he did not apologize which is perhaps unsurprising but i don't know uh perhaps it's not um but yeah he basically monologued for a long time explaining in quite minute detail his back and forth between london and and durham and how he felt that was reasonable and justified and then he took some questions from increasingly probing journalists and yeah he didn't it was pushed quite hard on a few issues towards the end but he really didn't offer any contrition or or anything as far as i could tell um yeah again i mean again i think if he'd just come out and said i'm sorry i panicked my wife was sick um i wanted to get to my family I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Again, I just sort of feel like that would nip so much of the... Well, it's not really nipping in the bud anymore, is it? But, you know, it would kind of put a, draw a line under it and stop it. But it's not. His conference is just written more questions. Uh, I think the most ridiculous thing that Twitter sort of has immediately responded to is the fact that he wanted to check his vision and his eyesight if he was okay to drive back to London by doing a 30 mile round trip first which with his kid in the back of the car which uh, uh yeah I, I'm not sure that's I don't buy that certainly but yeah he's uh yeah and it was quite interesting as well I mean uh, uh the press conference was half hour late and um you know uh, god bless the bbc presenters that were filling for half an hour um but one of them did mention that you know this isn't usual for a special advisor to make a public appearance like this and certainly not dominic cummings he doesn't really speak to the media certainly not in this way and you know a lot of people won't have heard his voice before and heard him in conversation so you know it was quite interesting from that point you know, I've, I've sort of been aware of him since the Brexit campaign. 
Was he involved? Yeah, certainly since Brexit. Maybe even before. Was he involved with something before? I don't know. Tory leadership? Not sure. Anyway, but yeah, I've been sort of been aware of him as a political entity for a long time. So, well, and yeah, I don't think I can recall hearing from him directly. Certainly not in this way. So yeah, it was quite interesting from that perspective as well. But yeah, needless to say, I don't think many people were uh, convinced otherwise of whatever position they already held, as is the case so much in political press, press conferences, I suppose. But yeah, it was a pretty... Yeah, just uh, just the... I guess the arrogance to sort of stand by your guns and just not hold your hand up and say, yeah, I didn't follow the rules, and I'm sorry about that. Anyway... It's, uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a bit of a vulgar display of power in some ways, but but anyway, that's the current affairs. So what else has been going on in my life? Well, um, over this weekend, I've more or less finished a little DIY project that I started last summer, <laughs> in fact. So I had a pallet, I've had a pallet, and what I've done is I've put legs on it, and I've put a few more wood panels across the top of it to make a coffee table because we don't have a coffee table uh i'm sure most people don't but it is a handy thing to have in front of the sofa just to pop things on top of that's what you do with a coffee table guys i think the biggest problem i have is when we have people around to play board games obviously in general not in the current climate but um yeah if you want to play in the living room, there's not really a viable option. There's, you can sort of bring in a little small table, well, that's too high to sit at from the sofa. Or you could play on the floor, which isn't necessarily all that comfortable. You do have a poof, but that's not very stable. So, yeah, a coffee table is really the answer to that. I mean, not, usually we have to play in the kitchen, which I don't like sitting in the kitchen. You know, hard chairs and things, I'm very much... Uh, sofa based kind of person so yeah uh it'll be good for popping board games on hopefully you know not too many with tiny little bits and pieces because there are quite a few gaps in it and it isn't very even i've made no you know i've sanded it quite a lot and stuff but i've not tried to make it a work of art particularly i have been finishing a lot so i've been putting some sort of like whitish semi translucent stain stuff on and some like acrylic varnish, I don't know. I've watched the YouTube from a nice friendly man with a Northern Yorkshire accent telling you what to do and done a bit of light sanding as well after the finishes. Just just having its second coat of the varnish, just drying in the sun. And I'll just do a little bit of light sanding and that should be it really. So that's, that's a sort of a sense of accomplishment there. As I say, it's very rough and ready. When the baby comes, oh well, when the baby starts uh, moving around under its own steam, it might be a bit of a, a hazard. <laughs> there are a few rough edges and pointy bits on it, but um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, if it's no good, I could probably pop it on Facebook Marketplace and flog it for, I don't know, it's not worth probably more than a tenner, but I don't know, chance your arm, put 250 quid on it and see if someone's foolish enough to pay that for it. But yeah, um, so I'm quite happy with that. It's been a nice little project for me, trying to do things that are positive 
for mind and well-being and with that in mind I did a spell of yoga this morning so that's something I've been meaning to try for a little while um, in due in part I used to be very flexible as a as a youth and a teen and even in my 20s like there's a game we used to play at that youth group and scouts and stuff when we were teenagers where you go around in a circle trying to um, pick up a cereal box off the floor with your teeth no hands obviously and uh, once everyone's done that or failed to do that you cut a few centimeters off the top of it and keep going and going and I, I, I'm fairly sure at one point I um, picked up a, a flat piece of paper or the bottom bit of the the box off the floor once um, such was my suppleness as a youth Probably the beer belly doesn't help, but um, yeah, I've lost that. I'm not very flexible at all these days. And I don't know, I guess, well, you know, stop me if I'm way off the mark here, but I'm 31. I'm starting to feel a few aches and pains and creaks and things. Last night, my knee just hurt for no reason. <laughs> really, I was just sat. I was probably leaning on my knees, maybe. And yeah. I just moved it back off off my lower leg and it just hurt like you know not just a little achy pain but like it properly actually hurt i mean and that lasted for about a minute or two i mean it seems fine now but just these things and obviously it's supposed to be good for your well-being and just general health so yeah i popped on a beginner's youtube just 20 minutes and it was nice i mean i'm not sure i did everything absolutely to the letter of how the instructor was saying but um it did make me feel quite good afterwards i think a lot of that is psychological in the fact that I just actually got around to doing it and did it rather than any direct effect of benefit from the yoga but then that's almost just as good really isn't it i would have thought psychological benefits are just as good as actual benefits i should think really in my opinion anyway so that was nice and then to sort of uh, ride this wave of healthy lifestyle and living i made myself a smoothie so i've been living the uh uh wellness the wellness wave like a yuppie i shouldn't think that'll last i've also eaten a lot of crisps today so that's probably offset it uh, <laughs> yeah so that was nice that's been quite a nice day doing that and um bit of bit of diy stuff as well and yeah that's been good. We've been watching a, a prenatal class video on YouTube as well, which has been very good. Um, we did sign up for antenatal classes before COVID pandemic uh, and then cancelled them once it became clear that that likely wasn't going to be a thing that's to, to happen. And yeah, so that, I mean, saved us 300 quid which is which is good but um yeah i think there were sort of online alternatives and things but i don't know probably partly because we've not been dedicated enough in pursuing it and partly because there's a lot of missing not misinformation that's that's not right but um i don't know a lack of communication perhaps from the midwife unit to us like it, it has been the case that we've had to go and get the info rather than waiting for them to tell us which maybe that's how it is i don't know but either way um we haven't 
we haven't had sort of an alternative to the neonatal, uh, antenatal classes. So I dug out a video off a YouTube today, which was very good. So it's in three parts. So I've got the final bit to watch as well, but um, that's been really helpful. Uh, I think, yeah, a lot of interesting tips and advice and uh, yeah, the, the woman that was presenting it was very good, seemed to know her stuff, had a good balance between um, being fairly personable, but also referring to research and things like that, which is good. It's kind of what we want to hear. So that was nice as well. Um, yeah. So I was talking a bit on the, uh, the previous recording that got lost about continuing to listen to the Scaredy Cats Horror Show podcast. Uh, which put out its second episode, which was Nightmare on Elm Street, which they talked about with some special guests, including a producer-director of the Elm Street series, not Wes Craven, but someone that went on to do some of the later ones, uh, who, and she was really interesting, she had a good perspective, being someone that is typically scared of horror films, but also working on them was quite an interesting dynamic. Um, and yeah, and I watched that film for the first time as well in preparation for that podcast, which I enjoyed. I didn't think it was particularly scary at all, I have to say. I thought it was more silly and fun. Um, particularly Freddy Krueger was more ridiculous than anything else. I, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was sort of reflecting a bit on what is scary about scary films. And I, yeah, I mean, obviously, if there's a jump scare, you know, everything's quiet and suddenly bang, a horrible, gribbly guy pops out and surprises you obviously you're going to be shocked and jump but in terms of actually being scared I don't I don't really know what what it is that scares me to be honest I'm sure I have been scared by films and unsettled by them but um yeah it was it's hard for me to think of something that I would truly put down as end-to-end really scary certainly I don't think I've ever had a film that's lingered and made me feel scared to go to sleep or I've had nightmares about or still worried about, you know, after the credits have rolled. I don't, just don't think that's me, really, and I don't know why that is. Um, I'm not particularly hard or, or, uh, or anything, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it takes quite a lot for me to dissociate myself from the fact that you're watching something artificial, perhaps. Um, I don't know, uh, again, whilst I was at uni and for a while, immediately out of it, I was in a, a phase where I was watching an awful lot of films. And I think the more you, the more you do watch, the more you become aware of how they're put together. And perhaps that has an effect as well. But yeah, I mean, I do really love horror films though, so I don't know what it is that is about them that I do enjoy, um, well, you know, I can't put my finger on specifically, I suppose. Um, but it is interesting. I think, um, so I was trying to think of what has scared or unsettled me in a film. And I, I really can't think of anything, too many great examples. I will say, um, in Us, the Jordan Peele film from last year, year before, whenever it was, uh, the invasion of the doppelgangers type affair, um, Again, I think that's a very good film. It's not as good as Get Out, I would say, but um, thoroughly enjoyable uh, and a lot to sort of take in and enjoy about that film. 
Um, and again, I wouldn't say it was a massively scary film, but I did find really unsettling watching it in the cinema was um, when Lupita Nyong'o's double um, sits down in the family home, minor spoilers here, I suppose, but nothing major, and starts speaking for the first time in this really bizarre, croaky, damaged voice the sound that she makes is, it, I found it very unsettling. I sort of, I don't know, shrank back in my seat a bit. I think other people in the cinema might have laughed at that point, but which is a shame. But yeah, I uh, I did like that. I'm trying to think of other recent ones. Midsummer, I went to see that in the cinema. Is that this year or last year? I really can't think. It's all blurred into one. But that was good was it scary again there was a lot of unsettling bits there's a lot, some very strange and disturbing and very violent imagery in that film but was i particularly scared i don't know i think i kind of made my peace with the fact that most of the characters in this film are going to meet untimely ends and once you're anticipating that i don't know it's difficult isn't it um and i think Midsummer. I think there's. I, I think this is true for a lot of horror, but I think there's a, a real through line of quite dark humour in it, which maybe I was more tapped into than the horror of it, I suppose. Unsure. Sort of brings me on. I think horror is an interesting genre in that it relies perhaps more so than a lot of others on um, tropes and cliches and, and audience expectations, I think. Like, maybe that's true for a lot of genres, really, the more you think about it. But definitely with horror, there are a set of tropes and cliches. And, you know, there's been plenty of films such as Cabin in the Woods and, well, the aforementioned Wes Craven's Scream films. Like, they do sort of play and deconstruct the idea of the cliches and things that make horror work. And that's also sort of a subgenre in and of itself. But, um, I think it's sort of that you to a point you do know what's happening and it's sort of the tension and the relief of that maybe which is a bit like comedy isn't it like you know it both comedy and horror films are sort of set in worlds where there's an increased level of artifice like you have to sort of buy into the fact that this isn't real life certainly with a lot of horrors you know are um yeah there's you have to buy into the fact that Yes, obviously events in horror films can happen in real life, but by and large this is something out of the ordinary. And in comedy films, people don't speak in witticisms and catchy one-liners and all the rest of it throughout their lives. You know, that just doesn't happen and they don't get into, you know, obviously ridiculous comedic situations do happen to people. But yes, generally by and large, you wouldn't have a film's worth of that sort of stuff happening in a in your life typically anyway i think i'm not sure i've explained that very well but i think hopefully you understand what i'm getting across but um yeah so there is that and there is a sort of that tension and release and the fact that you know someone is saying a joke and you are waiting for the release of the punchline which is a bit like you know someone is setting up a horrible death or attack and you again you're waiting for the the tension of that build up and then the release of the the action or the subversion of that by not uh having the monster or whatever attack. And I think as well, there's a sort of similarly well 
similarly received by audiences like i think both comedies and horrors are often sort of at their best some of them anyway when you're watching them in a group of people in a you know lots of people around for a, a night of pizza and beer and whatever in front of the telly or in a big cinema with loads of people responding to it and i think that is something else as well like both films this isn't my idea but both of these sort of genres of film they are perhaps a bit thought less of by film critics and things like that in a sense that you know um you know there's very few genre films that win the big awards and get the same levels of critical acclaim obviously that's not this is a very big generalization obviously 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 but um yeah there's sort of a school of thought that you know any film that is trying to provoke a a physical response in its audience either laughter or shrieking and jumping or whatever yeah sort of not as far as well of and that's uh, something else i think there's two sort of having core in common yeah there's a sort of a language to both of those genres of films and yes i'm sure you could extend that to other genres but that's just what i was thinking and probably as well why a lot of um there's a lot of sort of comedy horror hybrid genre hopping type films as well so anyway i'm going to continue to listen to that horror podcast because i like it and i think it's good um sort of well interesting for me as well recently this is changing the subject but um uh been enjoying the birds i don't know if you can hear them they are tweeting and screeching in the background here i don't know if the mic will be picking that up or not but it has been lovely watching the birds recently and we had a great spotted woodpecker in the garden yesterday which is great we usually see we get them and a green woodpecker or peckers um usually once a year we'll see a woodpecker in the garden one or the other you certainly hear them quite a lot sort of a knocking sound that they make so that was lovely to see and as well we had uh, some goldfinches in the garden yesterday too which and a little young one i think as well which is really nice and i don't think i've seen a goldfinch or recognized a goldfinch before which was cool but both of those species of birds also were the subject of a new podcast i've been listening to so it's called bird curious and the first episode was on the goldfinch and the second was on the greater spotted woodpecker so that was really nice that two examples then flew into the garden um i mean I won't say I can remember all the interesting facts and things that uh, were discussed on those about the two different animals, but it was it was nice, and I do like the birds. Big fan of their work. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's too much else to talk about, really. The only other thing I'll mention is the new book I'm reading, uh, which is by Adam Rutherford, who is a scientist in the media he's got a show Brian little bit of Brian Rutherford I think it's called sort of a fun BBC radio science show and uh yeah he's uh he's a funny chap uh, he's a geneticist anyway and he's written a book called I think he's written more than one book but the book I'm reading is called how to argue with a racist and it's a sort of a geneticist's response to some of the things that racists might come out with and 
you know, people that are perhaps not necessarily deliberately racist, but will say uh, things rooted in racism, such as black people are all better athletes than white people and things like that. Um, and it takes, you know, it's his, uh, uh, he sort of addresses a lot of these things and has been discussing why so much of that is nonsense and how we barely know anything really. Well, no, that's not fair. We know an awful lot about, an awful lot about geneticists, about genetics rather, not geneticists. Um, but sort of the more we know, they realise the the more complicated everything is and the less we know really so it's quite interesting and he writes very well um it's only a short book it's about 180 pages and about halfway through it uh and yeah no, i am enjoying it um one thing that he does discuss at, at a little bit of length in the book is the the whole um dna testing kits kind of thing that you can get genealogy stuff such as 23 and me and what have you and and why a lot of what they all put out is inaccurate or shaky science at best and i find that quite interesting because i've always thought those lauren is very into a, a family history and genealogy which is which is a great interest and you can reveal an awful lot but i think you have you have to be of a certain disposition to sort of engage with it which i do not have um I mean, chiefly, I mean, one of the things that um, Rutherford talks about is, you know, if you go back, and I think it's really not very many generations, everyone is related to everyone. <laughs> so pretty much everyone whose ancestry is based in Europe, for example, has a common ancestor really not that many generations ago, um, like a few hundred years at most. Um, so, yeah, if you do your own family history and you find you've got some king or queen or whatever in your heritage you know chances are most people can trace themselves back at some point i mean obviously we can all trace ourselves back to a common ancestor if you go far enough but you really don't need to go quite as far as you might think which is quite a mind-boggling like you know thought really but um he explains it pretty well um and yeah on the 23 and me stuff it's sort of like basically what you're getting when you send your dna off and they send your results is and you get i don't know you're 25 percent scottish and 33 percent french or whatever what that's really saying is your dna is has you know commonalities with our users in these countries that are living now and obviously if they're living there now then you know by extension that people that have lived there before there is a case there but really it's not so much historical as you know just a demographic of of their users which again that's biased because they're typically middle class white people with money to spend on this kind of thing so yeah you're really not getting a very good picture and as well i mean i've thought this before i read the book but like if it says you're 33 percent german or whatever what does that actually mean like because dna doesn't you know political boundaries of countries don't actually mean um anything <laughs> in, in response to dna i mean you'd be i would be more happy with people say i'm you know 33 percent of my dna is common in a particular area of northern europe and has been for several centuries or something but you know 
who wants to say that it's just a it's a bit funny and you know obviously the fact that people might say oh i've got german dna therefore i am very efficient and hard working it's just obviously that's just a stereotype and a cliche which has no bearing on anything um and it's also as rutherford points out you know funny that no one ever points out the negative negative connotations it's always always positive stuff because of whatever yeah genetic background but anyway it's a it's a good book and i like that it sets its stall out you know how to argue for racists that's it's nice you know because every now and again you do come across people that espouse um well racist views or whatever and it's you know obviously inherently i would always want to um uh bring people up on that but it's sort of nice to have uh some actual facts and things rather than just spluttering oh that's wrong but you know it's nice to say why that's wrong and why it would be foolish to think these things not that i would imagine many people would take notice but yeah anyway anyway i'm enjoying the book and i'll let you know when i've finished it so that's all i'm gonna go with today they'd be parakeets if they're coming up <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, i hope everyone is staying safe i hope no one's getting too infuriated at the news as easy as it is to be infuriated by you know i don't know you have to sort of dissociate myself from it a bit or you just just be a frothing volcano of anger all the time uh which is probably the most sane response perhaps but um not something i can do but yeah anyway hope you're well and i'll be back in touch soon thank you ever so much for listening